Thanks for joining us on the DDS Faith Podcast. Our prayer is that as we discuss what God has to teach us through His Word, we can all learn how to deepen, defend, and share our faith in Jesus Christ. So Todd, I don't think I've seen you since the last time we went fishing. No, it's been a while. That was probably, let's see, I, I left in like early June, and that was probably like what, May? End of May, I would say, yeah. Yeah, that was, yeah. and you caught that pretty good-sized smallmouth. Yeah, and you, you took it home and filleted it. Was yeah, it I took it, home, took it home. It, no, it tasted awful. It, yeah. was, it was really, I, I cooked it in like lemon juice and lime juice yeah. and like a little bit of garlic to get rid of that fishy flavor. Yeah. But man, like largemouth and smallmouth bass just taste way too fishy. Too fishy. It tasted like the water that we caught it in. <laughs> like honestly, oh, it, it tasted like the river. Yeah. Now, like... I think like crappie and catfish and stuff tastes great. Yeah, but right. uh, and I showed you that that little trick with bringing my little float out there. Yeah, when because we we normally like we well we've only fished once, but like we like to wade wade the river a lot, so we'll get in and fish in the in the river. But like you can't bring your phone and like your bait and stuff like that without having to zip it up and put it in your pocket, and put it in dry bags. So I, I got like a ten dollar float at Walmart. Actually, my friend bought it. And uh, I just tie it to my belt loop, and so it stays with me in the river. And I just put all my stuff in it. It's like a little float. Yeah, put your little tackle box. Put in my there tackle box and my phone and my net. Good. The I, net was nice to have too. Yeah, I don't really know how to fish. And what I do if I catch a, <laughs> if I catch a fish early into my little fishing hour or whatever, and I want to keep it, but I don't want to. When you kill it, you only got so much time before you got to freeze it. Right. So what I'll do is I'll put the net kill on the float through the handle. To where the fish can be in the net in the water, but the net is still attached to the float, so it's alive, but it can't go anywhere. Right. So I've I've got it figured out. <laughs> yeah, you got some neat little tricks. Yeah, but I've been fishing since I got back. Yeah. So it's it's been a while. But speaking of well, fishing, yeah. So I, to to break the ice, I was in Portugal for six weeks. <laughs> uh, we were I making we, we, we were, were making fishers of men. Yeah. Oh yeah, and I yeah. caught a fish in Portugal actually on accident. I was we were living a literal fish a or fish. like a like a Jesus fish. No, this is a real fish. Okay. Yeah. Was, uh, we were in a we were me and my friend Cooper Johnson. He was on here for an episode. Uh, we're sent by our local church to Portugal for six weeks on an internship, and we were living in a very small town called Alcochete, which if anybody knows Portugal, it's about probably thirty minutes from the capital Lisbon. You can get to get there about 30 minutes from the airport. You cross the river, and it's a very pretty little town there. And I was out on the pier one night, and we, me and Cooper would go out, and we'd walk, and we'd, we'd read scripture and just have our own little solitude time because that was about the only chance we got was just to leave the apartment and go walk around. And I was out on the pier, and there was a guy uh, lined up a bunch of different poles down the pier. He, was, he wasn't just fishing recreationally like we mostly do around here. Like He's catching his food for his, for his family. Mm. They love codfish around there. And so he's already on a pole that's got a fish on it. So he's reeling it in. And I, I'm walking. And I see these, this other pole bending. Like it's got a fish on the end of yeah. it. And he looks at me and he says something in Portuguese telling me to uh, grab the pole and reel it in for him. I mean, I thought that was a little strange, but I grabbed it and I reeled that fish in. And around here, if you, if you catch a bass or something like that, you put your thumb in his mouth and you hold it. That's the best way to hold it. It feels like sandpaper. It's not really any teeth. Mm -hmm. Well, this fish, I about did that. And he yelled at me. And he's like, don't do that. It's luck. I'm lucky I didn't because it's poisonous and it had real sharp teeth in there. So I would have probably had to go to the hospital if I had stuck my thumb wow. in his mouth. Yeah. So there's a picture of me holding it. 
and I mean, you, you can, I can maybe send it to you and you can put it on the screen if you wanted, but I have a, I have one hand on its tail and I have another hand on his mouth, but I have a towel in this hand because I can't touch his gills and stuff. Poisonous. Poisonous. Wow. Um, but you what can still eat it. You can still, there? no idea. It was, it was, it was probably about two feet long. It was, it wasn't crazy big, but it, I'd say it was about six or seven pounds. It was a good, I've never seen such a scary looking fish. Like I opened that thing's mouth and it was just like sharp teeth. Huh. but it was cool so I, I, I literally and it was funny because i remember talking to, to cooper and i was like i really miss fishing at home i'd really i've been fishing a ton yeah. back in the spring and i was like i can't wait to go home and catch a fish and i caught a, i caught a fish while i was gone but the lord provided <laughs> yeah, that's cool um, man it was great yeah that was that's a good story to tell but so eli how did you come about getting to go to portugal uh I guess that's a good starting question. <laughs> um, so me, me and Cooper Johnson, uh, one of my good friends, uh, were, was approached by one of our, our pastors at our church. And they were like, what, what do you think about maybe going to Portugal this summer for six weeks? And me and Cooper had already kind of had in the back of our minds the possibility of going to West Africa uh, with our missionary friend, Gomer. And so that was kind of in the back of my mind. I knew I maybe wanted to go somewhere. Um, so I, originally I was like, portugal six whole weeks instead of like two like you know mission trips can't be more than two weeks that's too much you know and uh yeah so i was like well i'll think about it and uh this is probably like probably february march somewhere in there and um the the person in portugal that our church supports his his family he's a pastor over there in montijo portugal which is where we were near where we were living um his mother-in-law passed away, and so he was in the States. He's he's American. His family is American, so they're from here. They, English is their first language. So he was in the States um, because the mother-in-law passing away, and so we had the opportunity to meet, get breakfast with the guy. So me and Cooper and the our sending pastor and um, Pastor David in Portugal met. It's the first time I ever met him, and uh, we asked him a lot of questions about what's what we're going to be getting to do there, and he was talking about a lot of teaching opportunities and the language barrier, and um, and one of my big questions was like, how are we going to be able to be discipled while we were over there? And he talked a lot about how he would he would be a, a big mentor for us over there. We'd be spending a lot of time with him, and so I was sold. I was like, Cooper, I remember being in the Cracker Barrel parking lot after we got breakfast, and me and Cooper were talking, and we were like, man, we, we really need to do this. Like, let's pray about this. Six weeks would be a great opportunity. We can figure it out. We had a few logistics we'd figure out with our schedules and Cooper's education and his uh, scholarship programs and stuff like that. And so we were like, well, we can do this. So we were praying about it, and we told our pastor, like, we'll, we'll go. So we figured out the dates, and we left on, on June 12th. Uh, so I guess three months ago, somewhere in there. And it was funny because this is my first time flying. And not only is this my first time out of the States, I've, but, you know, I've never, you know, <laughs> I've never flown. been on a plane. So we're flying out of Knoxville, <laughs> Tennessee. And I, I remember we, were, we got there real early. We got through TSA and we were sitting there and we we ate in a little bit of airport food. It, it cost an arm and a leg, but we had some food. And <laughs> uh, Cooper was sitting at our terminal watching our stuff and I was in the bathroom. And we got a notification from American Airlines that said, your flight's been delayed an hour. So I'm like, oh, goodness. We're supposed to land in Philadelphia and then go to Lisbon. And so that means that we're going to have 20 minutes between landing, getting off the plane, getting to our gate for the next plane, and taking off in Philadelphia. Like, this is a huge airport. Yeah. So if your gates are far away, you're not going to make it. Then I get another text. Your flight's been delayed an hour. So two hours now. And so me and Co I get back 
from the bathroom <laughs> and I was like, Cooper, like we, we aren't going to make the, the Philadelphia flight. <laughs> and so we're like, let's just go anyways. We'll hope that the next one gets delayed. So our mom, my mom is like, you know, uh, oh goodness. Like, you know, her oldest child is flying on his own for the first time and his flight's getting delayed. So we get to Philadelphia and as we're landing, we see our next plane flying away. <laughs> and so we spend the day in Philadelphia. We got a hotel and, and that was a really stressful night. And like, keep in mind, like this is my first time on my own somewhere. Like I'm just with Cooper. I'm used to be in my family or a youth group or something like that. Like I have adults. Right. Now I'm this, it was just I'm just the adult. You and were Cooper. the adult. So we're in Philadelphia <laughs> airport. We get in a taxi. We get robbed because we didn't know what we were doing. The guy knew, knew we didn't know what we were doing. So he charged us a ridiculous amount. It was like oh. 20 bucks, like a five minute taxi ride. And so we get to a hotel that my parents luckily had uh, points for and stuff. So they got us a hotel. We Ubered there, never use an Uber. And we get there at 1 a.m. probably. And that was the, the best feel, best night of sleep I'd ever had in my life. <laughs> like, it, if it seriously, like, I was, I was stressed. And uh, Cooper had flown, so he wasn't as stressed as I was. But, like, it, we're already, we already, the point of all that is not just a funny story, but, like, it was a pretty stressful start to a six week. Well, it was like trip. you hadn't even started yet. Yeah, we hadn't even got to Portugal yet. And, like, this is already happening. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't want to sit here and be like, it's the devil, you know, because <laughs> I don't know that. And, you know, well, you it, know, it was when it, you have when you have any kind of mission trip, you know, what, anytime I've led, anytime I've been on one, uh, it, it, it was three, four scheduled, then fluid and flexible mm -hmm. <laughs> scheduled yeah. first, have your plan, but then fluid and flexible and i hadn't i hadn't learned the flexible part mm. yet and i know that now and yep. so you know we spent a day in and we made the best of it we went to the rocky memorial and I'm, I'm a big eagles fan so we went to the lincoln lincoln financial field which is the eagles stadium and we had a great day in philadelphia and we we got to the philadelphia airport that that night and we left probably a little after nine o'clock p.m um and it's like a six and a half hour flight so you land in lisbon at like 9 a.m there it's like 4 a.m. here. You don't, I don't care what anybody says. Do not rely on sleeping on a plane because you're probably not going to. <laughs> you, you just can't. You, it's it, Unless you're flying like first class, you're not going to be able to sleep. And I, I wasn't real stressed on the plane. I really enjoyed taking off and landing. I thought I thought it was really cool having a window seat and things like that. And I didn't have a window seat on the on the international flight because you, you're going to get up and use the bathroom, yeah, you know. Like but, water. <laughs> uh, yeah, but honestly, like, I enjoyed flying and... and uh, Oh, look, ocean. No, we got there. Like, we landed, and we, the first day, man, I'd never experienced... I've been to Nashville, which is an hour behind where we're at. I've never been five hours ahead, you know? And, man, like, the, that first week, the jet lag was, like, pretty yeah, rough. I bet. Uh, I remember, the, like, the, probably the seventh or eighth day, me, me and Cooper's assignment that day was to get lost in, in Lisbon on our own. No, no, no English, you know, <laughs> and just, he said, you're, you have till this time, I'll come back and get you, take this ferry, go over there, get lost. And me and Cooper got really sick that day. Not, I don't think it was stress related, but more jet lag, new food, new water, things like that. Oh, yeah. And so <laughs> literally, I don't know if Cooper's listening to this, he's, he'll get a good laugh, but, uh, <laughs> we were in our tiny little apartment. I'm, I slept on a couch for, for four weeks and he was throwing up all night. Oh man! I woke up in the middle of the night and I felt really nauseous, but I didn't throw up. And I remember I w waking up and just hearing him like, <laughs> and it was it was awful. So we took that that next day and just rested and got our energy back. And, and I, I, again, I, there's a point to these stories. So the point of that one is being 
away from, that far from home, you know, s- several thousand miles home for the first time is one thing, but being sick while being that far away is the oh, a horrible feeling. You you got to grow up real quick. Oh yeah, like not only are you a little bit homesick just from being there, but when you're physically sick, that multiplies the homesickness. And so seriously, like I, I think that that God allowed that to happen so early on the trip, just to say like, you're here, you have five more weeks, now you're a little bit more prepared. Yeah, we got the homesickness out of the way for those that <laughs> day or two that we were sick. And other than that, like, uh, that that was pretty much the 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 first week not being the greatest. But yeah, it really made the next five weeks sail a lot smoother. Yeah, since we got that first week over with. Right. You know. So, just a question about this is kind of an overview of your trip. Now, this doesn't mean. You know, was your trip successful? Trip successful or not? That's not what I'm asking. Uh, so, two two questions. Number one, how much did you prepare for? You know, how well prepared were you for Portugal? How well did you feel? Does that make sense? And then, when you got to Portugal, how prepared were you really? Yeah, that's that's a, a great question. Probably one of the best ones to answer because. Like you said, you can prepare all you want. <laughs> same thing with same thing with a sermon. Same thing with a, a podcast. Whatever you can prepare, prepare however you want. It's probably not going to go how you prepare. Not to neglect pre- preparation, but uh, I think that we could have prepared a lot better with the language. We we had been committed for several months before we left, and I know Cooper was practicing Portuguese, and I was practicing a little bit. But you can't learn a language in three weeks or three months. You just can't. You can maybe learn groceries and hello and things like that but you cannot speak to people fluently and so we were really unprepared in that but honestly like i did not realize how crucial it is to know a language of the people that you're ministering to uh i thought that it was like oh there's gonna be a language barrier but we're gonna have a translator like we can preach through a translator we can lead a bible study through a translator things like that but you cannot one-on-one disciple with, through a translator because it's not one-on-one anymore. Right. So there are so many people there that I like so badly wanted to be like, let's go grab coffee, mm. share your burdens with me. I want to help you while I'm here. And I couldn't do that. Like, well, I literally a, couldn't. There's a misconception when it comes to o- overseas missions that everybody speaks English. And many of them do, but they don't. They won't. Uh, when I, when I yeah. went to Italy, well, I went the same assumption as you did. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, they speak English, you know, because yeah. they do. But they didn't want to. And um, mm-hmm. in the missionaries that, that I partnered with there, they said, they don't want to talk to you. Mm-hmm. Like, you, well, you They want you to, they're like, we learned your language, you learn yeah. ours, you know. Well, they, and I met probably a dozen fluent English speakers. It was as a second language, so they were fluent. I could yeah. talk to them just like I am right now. They knew exactly what I was saying. However, if other than that, either they spoke no English or enough to to give you directions mm. if you needed it. You know they could they could yeah they could say very basic English things, and, that, and that's not enough to have a gospel conversation. Right? It's just, it's just not. You you can try. You can use translator, but even to translate, I didn't mm-hmm. realize this, but going between two different languages, some words don't translate well, right. and so you could we, we could have an English word that we know what it means, but exactly to them right. it could be a lot different. Um, like, well, and I learned the hard way that in Europe, I think it's in Europe, but especially Portugal, um, the word fries also means chips. Yeah. 
So every time I wanted to order fries, I got chips. Yep. And that drove me crazy. <laughs> I, I yeah, wanted my French fries. You get fish and chips, you get French fries. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I like chips, but that was annoying. I, I had to figure that out in the hard way. If you want fries, you, you got to you gotta explain to them what you mean because there's not a word for that in right. Portuguese. And so. Well, and that's, that's what people don't, don't understand, like what you were talking about with meaning. You know, um, we have a definition of the word, but what's really the meaning of the word? You know, mm -hmm. that word may have more meaning than its definition. Mm. Um, I don't have any at the top of my head, but I mean, just think about just different idioms. Um, I can't think of one off the top of my well, head. I never I mean, can. That also even applies in the United States. Like down, oh, down, in, down here in Tennessee, we can have words that we use that if mm -hmm. a northerner hears, they're going to be like, what did you just gonna, say? Yeah, they're going to think that we mean something different. Well, I, and again, okay. I'm, I'm trying to think of a For word. For example, but. In, in carpentry, you have a term called cattywampus. And that's where you screw you, 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 two, you screw two screws in, right, to a table or something, and it should be level. All your measurements are right, but it it's not quite right. It's a little wobbly. It's called cattywampus. That's just a joke. That's a yeah. <laughs> old friend of mine. He used to call it cattywampus, mm. and, and I just kind of picked it up too. He was a carpenter though. So. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've said uh, to people before down here, you know, hey man, is that is that any count? Most everybody that grew up around here knows what I'm talking about, but I've had people, I have no idea. especially where Ashley is out in Arizona now, I've had people that uh, that she's friends with, and we'll be talking FaceTime on the phone. I said, well, is it, like she'll talk about a restaurant or something, but she'll, was it any count? It means is it any good? Um, you know? hmm. and, and people look at me like, what are you talking about? Because yeah. we would think of count like numbers, like exactly. three numbers. So right. see that, and that, that's a, I, I like that you you brought that up because there's the definition of the word, and then there's the meaning of the word. Yeah, I think one of the most important things I learned was the importance of learning a second language uh, in in terms of like God's global mission. Um, I think English is a great language to know because uh, it's used. It's like one of the languages that's used most in the world but think about like in south america how many tribes are unreached down there and a lot of them don't even have a language uh me and cooper especially cooper we're looking into um a ministry called radius international and what they do is they they essentially train people to go down to these desolate parts of the world and not only teach people a language that don't even have an alphabet but they share the gospel with these people with the language that they helped them create. And so there's literally people in the world that don't even have an alphabet. Wow. And I didn't know that. Like in these really desolate, like, you know, they're not even marked on the map. And so I, I really, I, I was shown the importance of knowing another language, whether it's Portuguese, Spanish, whatever. And so me and Cooper spent the whole time like, do we want to, do we want to devote ourselves to Portuguese or what if we never come back? Like what if, you know, cause the only other place you're going to use Portuguese is like Brazil right. and several other small countries. Yeah. Spanish is very practical to know in the U S. Um, but even things like German or Mandarin and things like that, like we, we need to be learning these languages. And, and I think it need, you need to start young. Pastor David, the guy we were spending a lot of time with there, his, his wife is, uh, she has a deaf ministry, so she shares the gospel and, and interprets sermons to deaf people through sign language. She is excellent at it. Uh, his kids, he has he has uh, three children that are they're young. He has a, one that's a toddler and two that are like 10, 12 years old, uh, somewhere in there. 
and they both know Portuguese and English. And they're wow, like literally almost half my age. And I think that's great. Like you have to start them young and that, think about it. Like they have such a, uh, they have a leg in both doors in Portugal because they can share the gospel with these English speakers, the rare ones in Portugal, and they can do it to Portuguese people. Right. And so when, when I go over there and I don't know the language that it's like, if you're going on a mission trip and you don't know the language, the door is like cracked open yep. for ministry. If you know the language, it's like swung off the hinges without knowing the language and having to use a translator, you cannot do ministry to its fullest like you could if you really devote yourself to the language. Right. Well, and not only that, but whenever you learn someone else's language, you know, it's like that old phrase. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Wow. They took the time to learn my language, mm-hmm. to tell me this gospel in in my language, you know. Perhaps they care about it. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying that you didn't care about it because you didn't learn Portuguese. It's not what I'm saying. Uh, but I'm, what I am saying is that, you know, that that's how they're going to take it. They're, they're going to take it in a very positive way. Um, you know, there's tons of different cultures out there, and it's very important that we respect those cultures, and, you know, we become a part of those cultures in some way. Uh, make sure that we respect them, because guess what? You know, after over in Europe, you dealt a lot with espressos. They love to oh. give those out. Um, I hate coffee, and more than coffee, I hate express- espresso. And uh, when, when I was in Italy, everywhere I went, like it was, you, they offer it to you, you better drink it, because mm-hmm. you, you will offend them if you don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and there's, that's just their culture and we need to respect that. You know, some people are like, wow, America, you know, no, <laughs> you know, yeah, they're we, not we, over here and let's respect that culture. What you got, Tom? We went, uh, on a trip to Charlotte. Yeah. To see the, uh, my, my mentor and that's been helping me out with this home church thing that we've been doing. And, and I took one of the guys that with me from, uh, from that church we didn't really didn't have a plan about what we were going to do or anything but we went down there and and rich told us that we were going that we were invited to a home church that was kind of an international church yeah and they spoke spanish a bunch of them spoke english but there were a bunch of them there that did not speak a bit of english yeah so they invited us into their house, into their home church. And the guy that I took down there is the first person I've ever met in my life didn't like Mexican food. <laughs> oh, and he was well, taught, we were actually talking over here, about buddy. <laughs> we were actually talking about that on the trip. Right. Yeah. And, and, uh, we get down there and, uh, the, the, all these people weren't just from Mexico or anything like that, mm-hmm. but all, it was all like Spanish food that they had. Yeah. Know? So it was, it was a lot like Mexican food, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, they had this big old meal for us yeah, as their guests. <laughs> and one of the things that Rich was telling us, he said, he said, okay, man, you all, if they offer you food, <laughs> you, better eat you it. have to eat it, you know? <laughs> and, uh, so Corey was really, uh, nervous about that. Uh-huh. And, uh, and they offered food, and he ate, and he was like, that's some of the best food I've ever ate in my life. You yeah. know? I mean, it wasn't like going to a Mexican restaurant. It was right. actually authentic, you know, real. What the yeah. But what got me was 
they had a they had a, a, a get together and a, and they had music and they had you know worship and mm-hmm. and and they had they had a guy that brought a lesson and everything but they had an interpreter there for us oh that's cool mm-hmm. you know and and that was really cool made me feel i mean we're in america yeah we're in charlotte north carolina down there but we're in a house that's full of a bunch of people that are from all over the the globe and they meet there once a week to have a church service and to worship the lord and they invited us into their home they fed us they had a guy there who could interpret for us and uh so it so it it felt Mm -hmm. i felt like we were respected and honored, you know, yeah. and, and it was really a, 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 a big deal, man. Cause they took time out to have someone come in and interpret for us. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what they were, what they were saying and, and fed, and it was really cool. So they ministered to us in that way. And so I can see the point of the importance of learning the language of where you're going, because like you said, you know, that shows people that you actually, yeah care that's right mm-hmm. yeah when and when you when you hear another language it's like and you don't know it it just sounds like a bunch of gibberish like you literally <laughs> can't even like separate the words it just sounds like you, you yeah. have no idea which words were which it just sounds like one big word you right. know and I, I know spanish pretty well I, I took several spanish classes in high school um i can read it and write it very well listening though is different because they talk this fast, fast and that's how we sound to other people that don't understand english but also <laughs> i learned that we don't necessarily speak english around here we speak american uh, you know? that's right well you know at tennessee like you know, that, around that, here it's yep. different we have our own cultured language uh, america know? is is very um is viewed very differently than we think you know um that was the same sort of thing everywhere in europe that i went i did not speak english i spoke american mm-hmm. that is what everybody you, like, you speak american you know yeah well, like, they no, would also, never say I we're not english. saying american as a language it's obviously not but it's just kind of funny because like it kind of is, is because yeah, it, we've I gotten mean, to the point where it's not england english you know well i mean look at i'm, I'm, I'm not i'm not gonna do it but i mean like you know for example we say elevator they say lift you know go to the bathroom they say the loo or whatever you know the washroom or whatever. yeah i mean like we use these words too but not like that mm-hmm. um so yeah i mean it almost is a completely different language in a, in a lot of a lot of respects especially when you get to like all the different dialects i guess oh, yeah. or accents yeah. that you have you know you've got your midwestern people then you got your you know you got your tennessee hillbilly and then you got your you know redneck alabama and each of those red, redneck and hillbilly are totally two different accents, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's just words that some people use, like we mean that it means something else, somebody else. Uh, but we, the, the, the thing we were there, we weren't just there like, uh, only around unbelievers constantly doing evangelism. They, Pastor David has a church there with probably a hundred people somewhere in there. And there was, there were some English speakers in there. In fact, Almost every week, several times a week, we were, uh, people were hosting us for like lunch or dinner or whatever. Oh, cool. And in Europe, lunch don't last an hour. It's like four hours. Like there's, <laughs> they bring out the appetizer, you eat it, and then you talk for an hour. And then they bring out the meal, you eat it, and talk for an hour. And then they bring out the dessert, you eat it, and you talk for a while. And then they bring out the espresso, and you drink it, and you talk for a while. <laughs> and that's, it's a, it's a whole, like by the time you're done with lunch, it's dinner time. Gross, socializing. Yeah, but see, <laughs> uh, we enjoyed it because we're talking to people that's like, 
you know, I remember we were there on the 4th of July. That was the first time in my life I'd ever been anywhere other than Kingsport, Tennessee on the 4th of July. Did they Believe it or not, it? they don't celebrate it over there what? for some reason. Why wouldn't they celebrate our Independence Day? But we, uh, me, Cooper, and David's family were like down in this basement, and uh, David made burgers, and we had like little sparklers and stuff. It was it was cool. Uh, in the in the basement of in a house in Portugal was I was where I celebrated the Fourth of July. But uh, seriously, like, uh, you know, Portugal is by no means a third world country. It's it's not, you know, like the bush of Africa, something like that. There's water, there's food, there's people, but it's it's a a completely different culture that you have to adjust to. Yeah. You have to learn going back to the original question about how prepared I was, <laughs> um, you know, never traveling abroad. There's only so much preparation I could do. Um, and now that I know what it's like, I know how I can prepare way better for next time, especially yeah. if I go back to Portugal, I'm working on the language, I'm getting it down. Um, and I, I know what they expect of me over there. And so not only were we, you know, serving David and his family, but we were serving that church. We were in their homes. We were ministering to them. We were trying to have conversation with them. We could speak English with some of them. Some of them we would sit at dinner and use our phones as a translator the entire time. Mm. And that gets really annoying. And it's slow. It's very slow. Because um, you have to say it. You have to let the uh, but, phone do it. You have yeah. to let them read it. And then they have to switch the language. And But the best part about being in Lisbon, Lisbon's the capital. There's a lot of English speakers there. Yeah, It's, it's a very touristy place. Uh, and so me and Cooper had, uh, uh, we were in, at like a castle place and me and Cooper were having a little theological discussion while we were walking and a guy, uh, his son turned around and asked us, so you you believe in this, whatever we were talking about. And his dad kind of grabbed his arm and said, don't talk to them. And he's, they're Americans. Wow. Like we found out they were from California. And so we were like, no, it's like, he, it's okay. He was young. He was a young kid. And so we were like, it's okay. He can ask, he can ask his question. And his, his dad said, well, no, we don't want to talk religion. And I was like, okay. So we had a great uh, gospel. We, we almost, it, it really turned into an apologetic conversation. We were like, well, you know, we got the presuppositional stuff and Bible and it's, it's accuracy and it's, it's inerrancy and things like that. We're having a great evangelism conversation. The guy was super nice, didn't accept what you we were saying. It's fine. We had those opportunities even in Portugal. And so the greatest thing about that is that even though those English speaking evangelism opportunities were rare, my appreciation for that when I got back was so much better because now I get back mm. and I was so used to being in a crowd of, of a, like a hundred person church and not understanding any of the conversations going on around me. I got, you can be in a room full of 400 people and still feel alone. Yeah. I, mm. I'm talking to David and Cooper and that's my only English speaking interactions daily. Yeah. So when I get back, the, I remember the first time I was in a public place, like the day after I got back, I was so used to not being able to understand the conversations around me that I almost felt overwhelmed that I could, wow. uh, now I could understand everything. I could just pick out words people were saying. And so now it's like when I go out in public, I really appreciate that I, I can evangelize to anybody there because they speak my language. You don't many, here in East Tennessee, you don't <laughs> meet many people that don't speak English. Well, you know, it's interesting. You know, you know it, it, it's funny because you, you talked about that, how about how all those people that you just couldn't speak to, and you know, because... You didn't understand them. You couldn't mm -hmm. understand them. You know, then you came here and you're like, you realize I can speak to all these people and how many of them am I not sharing yeah. the gospel the with? The opportunity that I have here, you know, and w when you're here, you get caught up in life. You know, you got work, you got, I got school, yeah. I got, uh, you know, just my social life, things like that. When I was there, all we had to do was whatever our mission was. Like we, we have our apartment and even, even if we weren't, 
out with David or, you know, there was like me, me and Cooper both got to lead a Bible. He, David does Thursday night Bible studies, man. I could, it was me and Cooper. I remember the first night we went to that Thursday night Bible study. We were like, man, this is like the day after we got there. So we're still a little jet lag, but it's fine. Yeah. It's going to be really interesting, man. Me and Cooper go back to that apartment that night. We were so stinking frustrated because we could not understand a word. Oh, and David was our translator, but he was the one doing it. So he's not going to take the time to translate just for two people when there's 20 people in the room, you know? Well, that would be so, hard. Yeah, me and Cooper got there and we're like, dude, we're useless. But literally, I remember we sat at that tiny little kitchen table in our apartment in Alcachet. And we were like, dude, this we are going to be useless. Like, there's nothing for us to do here. And that was humbling because it yeah. was like, I remember us talking and we were like, you know what? God doesn't need us here. <laughs> he desires for us to be mission-minded and for us to yeah. evangelize and things like that. But he doesn't need us. And that was humbling. And it was like it, our prayer from there on out was not what it was in preparation. It was, Lord, there's going to be things that we do here that's going to feel useless, like taking care yeah. of David's kids or going to a local kids organization and showing them how to play football, American football. That, that feels useless. But even David, I remember we, we were at a Starbucks there. And he, he one thing he told us that I still is, has stuck with me. And I'd always heard this from even like you and other people, but I'd never actually like been in a place where it became real were, yeah and it was listen guys like i feel this too you're gonna feel like you're doing things that are useless but he was like he named different people in the church that he pastors and he was like i met these people through these useless yep. opportunities and now they're mm -hmm. faithful members of this church yeah and so you have to get your foot in these doors of these places because portugal is mostly roman catholic um you know evangelical christianity is like no no there yeah and here you cannot you can't go anywhere and not run into a Baptist church. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we felt really useless and we knew we had six more weeks of feeling useless. And so our mindset was humbled and it changed. <laughs> it had to change. And so that's, that's a way that we came in prepared for this, but that's not how it was. And so yeah. now I know how I can better prepare next. And so for those six weeks, um, you know, while, while we're here, I can hang out with my friends. I can go to work. I can go to school. I can do that stuff and get caught up in that. But while I was there, it was either, doing something that is intentional ministry, whether it's helping kids or eating dinner at people's houses or serving David's family, or it was in our apartment reading our Bibles. That was it. Yeah. There was no free time, not free time, like hanging out with friends. There was free time, like our own solitude. But I remember every night me and Cooper would go out and walk the streets of Alcachet. And we would, <laughs> uh, that was our time. When we were by ourselves. You need your time by yourself. Oh, yeah. And we'd pass each other sometimes, and it was just like we'd wave <laughs> and just keep walking. And, man, we uh, – I remember one night, one of my favorite nights, me and Cooper sat down at that kitchen table, and we went through Habakkuk in one sitting. Mm. And we wrote down – I had a little journal that I kept the whole time, and I wrote down things I know about Habakkuk before reading it. When was the last time I heard a preacher say, turn with turn with me to Habakkuk? Right. You don't <laughs> – you know, what, what's Habakkuk? Who is this guy, you know? And so I wrote down two things. It was written by Habakkuk. And it's three chapters long. That's the only things I know. He's a prophet. He's a minor prophet. That's the only <laughs> things I know. We read it. We read it several times. We broke down each section. Habakkuk is now one of my favorite books in the Bible. Yeah. I mean, it is awesome. It, I'll, I'll only get into that. But like, seriously, when you're away, you, the, you're, you're almost kind of forced not only to be in God's word, but you're like kind of living it. Yeah. And so you're, you're away from those distractions. And it was like so... Uh, fruitful for me and Cooper and we grew cl so close to each other to where it's like you almost kind of aggravate each other sometimes <laughs> and 
the our mindset was very humbled that first week. We were so frustrated that first week. You know, you talked about the language and the language barrier. And you talked about how you were basically useless in there. You would go to speak your language, but it was like nobody was talking to you, and it was just garbage. It was just gibberish, basically. And, you know, when we read in 1 Corinthians 14, you know, when he talks about when I speak in a different tongue, if I don't have an interpreter, I'm just just the noisy Mm -hmm. gong, you know, I'm just Mm -hmm. whatever. Uh, But if I have an interpreter, then all of a sudden my tongue makes sense, mm-hmm. you know? It's incredibly important for us to learn the different languages of the world, um, especially if we're going to go and evangelize to them. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I also like what you said about how you realized how much you're not doing here, how many opportunities you miss here. Yeah, and I, let me add to that. I want to emphasize the importance of the fact that you don't have to go on a, on a mission trip like that to to fulfill God's mission yep. for us. Um, in yeah. fact, I think that the priority should be your home. Yes. You know the language, you know the culture, you have family, you have friends. That is your primary mission. However, that's not to say that there's not places in the world that need to be reached with the gospel. Right. I'm a very strong believer, and I was talking to uh, somebody about this earlier today. Our area in, in East Tennessee doesn't need to be reached with the gospel. Let me finish. I know that sounds like it's like heresy. It needs discipleship because mm. we have the gospel here. There's mm-hmm. churches everywhere. Yeah, there's people that's never heard it. Maybe they've never heard the full gospel. We need to have those individual conversations. But the gospel has been touched on this land. Right. And it, I mean, it is everywhere here. Every There's a church on every corner in, in the tri But nobody's, nobody's growing. Right, but there's no discipleship. Right. Now, in Portugal or South America, a lot of these places, the gospel hasn't been touched there, so you can't disciple yet. You know, you, you've got to first reach them with the gospel. And there's people in Portugal right now that have never heard the biblical gospel. All they've heard is what they've been taught in Roman Catholicism, which we'll talk about in a little bit. So yeah. first, we have to reach these places with the gospel and then disciple them. So yes, we need discipleship here. We need to have these individual gospel conversations here. That is so important. You have such an advantage here with knowing the language and knowing the culture. But we should still be teaching people the language and training men and women up to know these other cultures so that they can also reach these cultures. Uh, I'm a very strong believer that churches should should be t- have language classes. Yeah. You know? And Maybe. Uh, I think that would be a, a great—I'm not saying you have to to be a church. I'm, I'm <laughs> saying it would be a great resource. Um, we have to be teaching people these other cultures and training them. The, the Radius International thing does a—I uh, think it's—don't hold me to this, but it's like a two-year um, time away in, like— in Mexico where you're just learning, learning the culture and learning Hmm. the language. Then they send you, uh, and you know, that there's a a need not only for local mission, but like global mission. Right. And you know, I liked what you were saying. Like they want you to be prepared, Mm -hmm. you know, um, anytime I've taken students on a mission trip or whatever, we never just went, all right, here's ready to go. Sign your permission slips. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. how do you evangelize? How do you start a conversation with somebody? Um, okay, hey, this is the culture that we're going to be going into. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we talk to these people? Yeah. What are some things that we should and shouldn't say? Uh, you know, for example, whenever I was, um, I went to Italy for a mission. And um, when I was there, I would. they told us, do not ask, are you saved? Or have you received Christ? Don't ask that question. Mm-hmm. Because what they're going to say is, yes, because they took communion. They 
they they they did they yeah. did the Lord's Supper. Well, and in Europe, yep. you can't you you can't even just start a conversation like that. They won't talk to you. Yeah, you have to know them. You yep. have to build some sort of relationship. Exactly. Uh, I remember when we went to New York like two and a half years ago when you were, you were still my youth pastor at the time. Uh, you required training. Like we were several, I think you offered like what eight or something training sessions. COVID kind of messed it up a little bit. Yeah, I remember. But you were going to require like four or like half of them or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you had to I, be at half. I thought that was great because you had to put in the work. You know, you had to. You're not going on a well, vacation. You know. And there is, there were some people that I, there was one individual I know that he started coming to our church late. He mm-hmm. only got to like one of the trainings. Like, yeah. all right, yeah, he, that's he, we're, we're gonna yeah. let him come if, if, still. If, if you're like wanting to go on the trip, but you're neglecting the training, that's right. that's different. You know? Well, what was neat? I did a survey after the end of that, and I and I asked, how prepared did you feel coming in? And you know, the the, the people that did the train did all the trainings. They were like, oh man, I was I was pretty prepared. I was I was ready for a lot of this. You know, there was still some stuff I was needed work on, but I was definitely. Uh, prepared and some of these guys that only been to one or or just a couple like i didn't feel prepared at all <laughs> like it's tough stuff you can't just go out and just oh yeah i'm on a mission trip you need to prepare yeah mm-hmm. be proactive in your mission and yeah. you know, todd's got something I yeah can tell. i can tell you've got something over there. Oh, no i was just something i was gonna share uh, yeah share it go for it you just mentioned habakkuk and it just reminded me about a thing i've got vicky's bible here and I don't know if this even pertains to anything at all that we're I talking about. But, <laughs> and you can edit it out if it doesn't. All right. But it, it, you you mentioned Habakkuk, and I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that. And I've been reading through her Bible, doing this Bible in a year thing. And she's got it highlighted here, and it says Todd Rust 4-24-19. It says, though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, there though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herb herb in the stalls. Sorry. Though the flock, I need some new glasses, and there be (laughs) no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. When you said Habakkuk, I just I just that's in Habakkuk. That is in Habakkuk. Which yes. which chapter is that? That's Habakkuk three, verses seventeen through eighteen. Hmm. But I just thought that was that. I, I brought that up after I lost my job. Hmm. You know, and I and I had, things aren't working out now. Just wait. And I had told her and about it, and I was like, well, you know, this scripture came up and where in the world it came up i don't know where it came <laughs> up from you know it had to be from the lord because when's the last time you turned to Habakkuk? right yeah you know <laughs> not not often right. most people can't even pronounce it <laughs> right yeah but it's highlighted and she's got my name right here and a date that i shared it with her so i just thought that was cool mm. that's awesome and and you know the i think my favorite part about habakkuk is like the first chapter is just habakkuk pleading with god He's like, why are you not punishing? Is it uh, Babylon? I think. Why are you not punishing them? Right. They're evil. You see, they're evil, and you're not doing anything. And he questions God's. He doesn't doubt. Mm-hmm. But he questions God. There's a difference. Well, it, it's it, you can respectfully question authority. Uh-huh. That's important to do. Like, I'm not asking because 
I doubt you. I'm asking because I want to understand. Mm-hmm. I'm asking because I want to learn. Yeah. And that that's an important way to approach life, and it's an important way way to approach your your walk with Christ because you're going to have a lot of questions. There's going to be a pastor that says something to you one day, and you're going to be like, "Ah, eh? what do you mean by that?" You know, let him let him qualify, let him talk mm-hmm. about it. Yeah, Habakkuk. Uh, I was going to turn to, but that's all right. <laughs> it's not about Habakkuk tonight. <laughs> um, Todd, do you have a question for yeah. him? You could, uh, if you don't have one, I could give you one. I've got one. Go for it. So I hear you uh, talking about gospel conversations, mm-hmm. and we bring that up a lot in our uh, training on this, how to do this. When I went through and learned how to do this home church stuff, uh, talk about gospel conversations, sharing the sharing the gospel. Can you can you? you talk about how you shared how you shared a gospel conversation with someone in in Portugal yeah so uh, I'll speak for Portugal but I think this also applies to Europe pretty generally and you, you would know this too since you spent a lot of time in Italy but uh, Europeans aren't like Americans when it comes to like walking down the street and waving at each other you know like here and we have a fairly small more town south. yeah very yeah like here where we live it's like you wave, you say, how are you doing in the grocery store? You're going to have a nice, mostly a nice person say, hey, good, how are you? In Europe, it's like you can you can walk, you can be the only people on the street and you pass right by each other and you will not make eye contact. You know, you, you normally you'd do a little nod or a smile or something. They won't even do that. So when you talk to somebody, you like, you got to have a reason and you got to slowly get into the gospel. So, for example, me and Cooper were out on the same pier. Spent a lot. We we're going to go swim, actually. That was our plan that evening. We had a little bit of free time. And uh, we were out there, didn't have our shirts on. We just had our swimming swimming trunks, and we were about to get in the water. And this, there was an ambulance out on the pier. Um, and I'm not really exactly sure what they're. I don't think there was like an emergency ambulancia. Uh, I don't know what they were doing out there, but they were they were there. There was no emergency or anything. I think they were just off, like they ha- didn't have a call or anything. So they just drove out there. They were just sitting waiting on a call. And we were about to jump off the pier, which we already done. And we were like, well, there's an ambulance here. They might stop us from doing this. It wasn't illegal, but they were, you know. <laughs> and so, we, again, we were about to jump off. And the, these ambulance guys, EMTs, I don't know what they call it over there, but EMT for us, uh, started saying something in Portuguese, cl- clearly saying don't jump. And it, it, it's not, we're not doing something stupid. This is like not that, I mean, it's like a five foot fall. I don't want to make it sound like we're over here being idiots because we weren't. <laughs> uh, but he said something when we looked in, we were like, no follow Portuguese, which means I don't speak Portuguese. And he, he spoke English uh, good enough. And he's like, dangerous, dangerous. And I was, we were like, okay, if we were going to expect what he said, we weren't going to jump. And if that didn't happen, we wouldn't have had a, go- a two hour long gospel conversation with a man on the pier. That's awesome. And so the ambulance left and this guy turned around and he was like, He's like, so they're not going to let you jump, are they? And man, he spoke great English. And he, he said that. I was like, yes, evangelism. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, Cooper's over there grabbing our shoes and stuff. And he came back and he could already tell we were in a gospel conversation. So Cooper walked up. Now it was like two on one, you know. <laughs> and uh, it, so I, I originally, the, the best way to ask over there, the best icebreaker we discovered was just asking about Catholicism. Um, we'd be like, so do you go to church here? And they'd say, yeah. And we'd be like, oh, is it like, you know, what, what do you do? And they'd be like, Catholic, whatever. So that's what he said. He was uh, Catholic, but not practicing. I get that answer. So wait, really quick. What's the, why, why would you ask him about 
Catholic. The reason I would ask a lot of people about Catholicism was because that's the culture there. And I say culture instead of religion because it's to the point where it is a culture. And I actually talked to two young men that said that the younger generation identifies as Catholic but not practicing. The older generation practices. So in 100 years, it may not be Roman Catholic. I don't I don't know. Right. Um, but it is kind of dying off from practicing Roman Catholics to I, I, my grandmother is a Catholic. It's kind of like here, honestly. Like, in a way, a except of, for it's Christianity. We have a lot of identifying Christians, yep. but they don't really practice. Um, same way over there. 99 something. I exaggerate, but everybody over there is some sort of Roman Catholic. And so I asked this guy, a great icebreaker into like, quote, religion. And so he kind of already probably knows where I'm going. And so I asked, you know, the thing I've learned about evangelism is you want to put a lot of the conversation on them. You don't want to be like, as a matter of fact, this, because they're not going to listen to you. That's you right. want You want to make them answer the questions. You want them to think. Right. That's what I've discovered. You you want them <laughs> to have to really think through these questions. So we'd be like, do you think there's a God? Do you pray to God? Do you, Where do you think? I remember we turned around, the sun was setting, and I was like, you have an ocean and the sun setting. And I was like, where does this come from? Like, who put this here? And right. he's having to think through these questions, and he's like, it, it always comes down to you believe what you believe. I believe what I believe. Let's respect each other and leave it at that. And it's like, well, you know, you can get it in the whole like, well, you actually don't have any sort of morality or anything like that because you don't have a God. You know, there's you have no basis of morality. And so he'd be like, well, I think everybody should follow their heart. And so Cooper is like, well, Hitler followed his heart. <laughs> but like, honestly, there's they don't they don't know how to answer that because yeah. they, that completely destroys the whole follow your heart thing. And so he's like, well, what Hitler did was wrong. Why? He followed why, his heart. Why was it wrong? Well, murder's wrong. Why is murder wrong? Because you're harming somebody. Why is harming somebody wrong? They have no basis of morality. So we literally talked in circles with this guy for like two and a half hours. And it was he was very respectful. He owned a bar in Italy. He's met Ronald Reagan. He's met the Queen Elizabeth that just recently passed away, like whenever that was, um, like last year. Great guy. But, man, he talked and would not answer our questions. So we're just talking in circles. Like we'd, we'd ask him this, and he'd tell a story, and we I don't even know how I answered the question. So we just talked circles, talked circles. We're freezing. It's wind is blowing. We don't have our shirts on. We were wanting to swim. You know, we're we are freezing, and that that was you no know, persecution right there. <laughs> Did, yeah, <laughs> I'm kidding. Did but, you ever think that he actually didn't know English at all? He just knew those stories in English, and he didn't understand a word you were saying. <laughs> no, he knew English. I'm actually friends with him on Facebook now. And we'll, we'll, I was just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I'll message but him. But like the way you were telling the story, I was like. You know, it's possible he didn't speak a word of English. He just knew like a, you know, a story in English, and he just shared it. That'd yeah, be great. But, you know, the <laughs> I really learned after concluding this conversation. One of the things me and Cooper asked, and I actually learned to ask this a lot of people, and it's if you knew for a fact that what I'm saying right now is true, <laughs> would you submit to it? The answer is always no. No, it's not the lack of evidence or presupposition that puts that cries out god it's their lack of submitting to it because romans one they know they suppress the truth and unrighteousness they lie god has made himself known through creation yep they know that there is a god they know it but they don't submit and they've established their own righteousness and the thing i've learned is that the older you get the harder your heart gets uh, and here's the thing about a hardened heart. You're not getting more sinful. You're already a sinner by nature. You are a sinner. The, the sins that we commit in our lives 
are simply just a symptom to the internal heart problem that we already have. So we don't need to stop sinning. We need a new heart. And so the older you get and you're and you're not accepting the gospel, like this man in example, he's not growing more sinful. His heart is solidifying into that sinful state to where it won't change. Mm. A hard rock doesn't change, but a soft pillow, you can switch it around and you right. mish it and all that stuff, mush it, whatever. That's the that's the theology of a hardened heart. You're not growing more sinful. You're just solidifying into that sinful state to where you won't change. Only God can soften a heart. Look at Pharaoh. Yep. Not only did Pharaoh harden his heart, but even God eventually hardened his heart to accomplish God's purpose. Now that that's kind of a whole other thing, but uh, you know that's that's the thing is that you can you can speak any word into these people's ears that you want, but apart from the Spirit of God they will not change. And we are simply just a vessel of that gospel. The gospel must be spoken. It's the proclamation of the good news. Well, and you, you can't be, you can't be afraid of rejection mm, absolutely. because you have to understand number one, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting God. Exactly. Um, and our, and our job is to present the gospel and it is yeah. God's job. You can't to make persuade. them go to hell any faster than they already were going. That's exactly right. I think that there's a lot of theology behind this. That we probably don't need to get into, but this is kind of something I kept in my mind. God the Father appoints salvation. God the Son accomplished that salvation on the cross. God the Spirit applies that salvation. And apart from those three things, it's just not possible. So uh, specifically the Spirit part, only the Spirit can soften a heart and draw them to Him. Right. And apart from that, man's words can do nothing. Like 1 Corinthians something, two, I think it's chapter 2. Paul, I did not come in cleverness of speech mm, yeah but in 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 the power i don't know the exact words in the power of the spirit something like that so that the cross of christ would not be made void right um so we are nothing but vessels that god doesn't even need but he desires uh so that's humbling <laughs> but also encouraging you know it, it's both uh so back to the question um you had to have a good icebreaker you had to build somewhat of a relationship with these people before you could get into quote religion. Now, this in this example I gave, he spoke English, so he he kind of knew the English culture. He was willing to have a conversation with us, but Portuguese, well, Europe, Europeans in general, they in, don't want to talk that much. In general, with sharing the gospel, you know, it goes back to that phrase we said earlier. You know, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You know, look at look at two things. Number one. If you're just randomly going up to the person and like, would you like to talk about Jesus, your Lord and Savior? Like, uh, no. Like, I'm going to say no. I wouldn't even do that like, here, you know? Like, I no. <laughs> like, yeah. I would love I'd love to talk about Jesus. We do it all the time. We do it every week on this podcast. But if some random person, you know, comes to me and says, would you like to talk about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? I might be like, have a good day. You know, like, that's such an awkward, weird way to do it. And it's, and it's you're on a mission, but... And it's clear to them that you're on a mission, but it's just like, it's almost like you're just doing it as a job. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then here's the other thing. And I liked what your, how your conversation was with that guy. Look at how Jesus taught. Did he give a whole bunch of absolute statements? It was like this, 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 this. Did he? Yes. He did some here and mm -hmm. there, but you know what he did a lot? Ask questions. Ask questions. And a lot of times he'd answer a question with a question. Mm-hmm. You know, these, these questions are incredibly important for us to look at, you know, with apologetics. It's very easy for us, you know, apologetics is to defend the faith. That's that's what it is. It's, yeah. a def First, it's defense. Second Peter 3.15. Yep. Uh, I think it's second Peter. It might be first Peter. 
But when when practicing apologetics and how people generally do it, it's usually more on offense than it is defense. Mm-hmm. It's usually like, oh, yeah. you're an unbeliever? Ha, come here, atheist. Let me, let, you know, let me do I some. I have presuppositions. Yeah, <laughs> let, let me do some apologetic uh, kung fu over here, you know. And, um, and guess what? All they're going to do is they're going to defend themselves. You're not mm-hmm. on defense. You're on offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, apologetics is where you defend your faith. I don't have to go up and, you know, preach, you know, apologetics to everybody. No, absolutely not. But I have these apologetics for my own personal doubts, doubts uh, that, you know, may come on me when somebody comes at me and questions my faith. You know, I have I have answers for those things. That's what apologetics is for. Mm-hmm. And it's incredibly important. But to go out and, you know, just use apologetics as offense that's not what it's that's not what it's designed yeah let me let me read first peter three fifteen. this is exactly what you're saying first peter three fifteen. sanctify christ as lord in your hearts always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you yet with gentleness and reverence mm, that last part everybody forgets gentleness and reverence making a defense mm-hmm. uh now there's, there's context of what Peter's addressing here, but defense with gentleness and reverence. We're not supposed to go up and be like, you're going to hell. Speak that louder. Gentleness and reverence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we're not supposed to go and be like, you're going to hell if you don't repent of your sins. That's another thing, is we expect people to fix their sin before Mm. they, you know, come to the cross. And it's like, well, no... No. The cross is what fixes That's their what sin. Like, why you. why are we holding the secular society to a morality that they don't even believe in? Like, what do you expect? Yeah, they're going to be a liar and homosexual and a gossiper. But it's exactly what um, the Judaizers did. Mm-hmm. Uh, Judaizers were people um, that were in the first century. Uh, so right after Jesus had died, Christianity was starting. Uh, and they were moving away from, hey, following these laws and learning every bit of this. And, you know, Paul is actually talking in Galatians. He says, we do not need to put this burden on you. And those, they, that's why they called them Judaizers, was because they were saying, oh, yeah, you could be a Christian, but you got to follow all these laws first. You got to do all these work. We do the exact same mm-hmm. thing in Christianity. We say, oh, you got to fix all this stuff. You got to clean up your stuff first. Mm-hmm. But we don't say that. We, we don't, don't say that, that, but we do that. We can't expect to hold a secular society to a belief that they don't believe in, you know. And so we we, we are still uh, we still sin. Um, and there Hebrews ten, I think, is probably one of the, the most I guess scary and fearful sections of scripture that I've ever read. Verse twenty six and twenty seven. For if we go on sinning important word here, willfully, after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire which will consume the adversaries. Mm. Sinning willfully, after receiving the knowledge of truth. So, if you're a believer, you've received the knowledge of truth. You've accepted the knowledge of truth. So, are you sinning willfully? Look at Romans 7. Paul was not sinning willfully. In fact, he was doing the thing that he did not want to do. Well, okay, let, let me let me clarify this really quick because um, Romans seven is incredibly important here. 
because you are willfully mm. sinning. When you right. sin, you made the choice to do it. What what Paul clarifies is that you're going to have a conflict of two of your natures. Mm. You're going to have the spirit and you're mm-hmm. going to have the flesh. Mm-hmm. If you're not having conflict and you're just sinning and like, oh, whatever, God will just mm-hmm. forgive me. That's what that's right. And about. so his in now that he has the spirit, he's a new creation. His inward desire has changed. Correct. He has conviction of sin. He desires to not sin. Every believer should have a general desire to not sin. So if you don't have that, then you're sinning willfully. Right. And so, you know, go, going back to the the original thing, like that's what separates a non-believer from a believer, a unregenerate person to a born again regenerated believer. Yeah. Uh, so we don't fix our sins and then go to Jesus. That makes the cross void. There, there's no point of the cross if you have to fix your sins first. If you have to, and we, we, you know, we, we've been on this rabbit trail many times. Well, we put these certain sins up here, and we're like, you have to fix these. But my gossip and my lying is fine. Um, <laughs> still going to hell because of that sin, you know. Uh, so we, yeah, that's another. Uh, going back to missions, we can't just. A lot of times, I think pastors, especially these like, you know, evangelism every Sunday messages, we mm. want to get people lost and get them saved every week. <laughs> every week. We got to yep. get them lost and get them saved. Got to get them saved it's every like, week. You cannot get them lost any more than they already are. Now, I think that that is important to make when you're evangelizing. Yeah, they have to understand that there's sin they need to be saved from. I, I understand that. But um, you, you can't make them any more lost than they already are. You, you can't condemn them in their sin. That's not our job. You have to present the bad news in order to present the good news. Um, can't have you can't have the. But show, you know. see, this is uh, one of the, one of the issues um, in in general, is that we like to jump to conclusions rather quickly. Mm. So, for example, you know, Christianity, righteousness, right, justification. Okay, the outside world looks at it like, oh, y'all are just a bunch of self righteous jerks, you know. And it's, no, 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 no. It's his righteousness, not my righteousness. And I think when we evangelize, it's it, we shouldn't be like, you know, you're a sinner, you know. Um, we're, we're all sinners. Like, we it, lump yourself into that group for sure. And the, the only difference between me and you is that I, I, I've accepted that God forgives me, mm. you know, no matter what. Yep. Um, you know, and, and, I, and I strive to live for him and live, live like him. Mm. Uh, out evangelizing, out sharing the gospel one night in Charlotte. You know, the 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 question came up with a guy. He's like, "Well, I need to get I need to get my life in order before I can do it." And I've used this so many times. I've probably mentioned it on this podcast. I don't know. I don't remember, but I use it all the time because it was mind blowing. It was so simple. I'd never thought about it this way, and it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Rich looked at the guy, and he said, do you get cleaned up before you get in the shower? <laughs> the guy's like, right. well, well, no. He goes, all right then, brother. You can't get yourself mm-hmm. un, you know, sinless yep. without Jesus. Well, and, then, yeah. and it's also, you know, I got to get my life back together. Yeah. I got yeah. that's uh, my power, my will, Lord. I, I'll yeah. let you know when I've got it ready for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. No, 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 no. 
He <clears throat> sanctifies you. Yeah, that, he that's what I was about to you. you stole yes, the word from me. That's Sorry. right. I was, Sanctification. <laughs> uh, I, I was gonna say there's. I think there's two two different types of sanctification. There's the, uh, I guess, uh, for lack of a better term, like positional sanctification. So when you're saved, you are set aside. You're, there's a one-time setting aside from the world. You're in the world, but you're not of the world. You're sanctified. There's also a progressive sanctification. You're actively being made holy. And that type of sanctification, this progressive sanctification, precedes regeneration. Um, you're, you're, not, you're not sanctified and then born again. You're born again right. then you're sanctified. Right. Sanctification, the progressive, is a process of being made holy, being conformed to the image of a son, being holy for God is holy, like in First Peter. Um but I was going to say, <laughs> this is actually something I spent a lot of time on Sunday when I was speaking, is the importance of doctrine when it comes to missions. Uh, now, there's a statement out there that I've heard a lot of people say, and I've said it before, and it's, well, this doctrine stuff's confusing. I don't need it. All I need is Jesus. But you can't have Jesus without doctrine. And yep. here's, here's what I'm saying. Now, I'm not saying to go on mission, you have to be smart like the smartest person ever you don't have to know the whole bible by memory you don't have to know any of it by memory however you have to know the jesus that you're serving yeah. uh talked to a lot of jehovah's witnesses in portugal some english speakers now when you ask if you say all needs doc i don't need doctrine all needs jesus well the jesus that you're talking about is a lot different than a jehovah's witness jesus because they deny the, the deity of christ That's why you need doctrine you need doctrine you have to you have to understand the gospel that you're protecting that you're yeah. that you're bringing out and not protecting in like a hiding it sense, but protecting it like making sure it's the gospel, you know, not any, right. not a gospel. Uh, <clears throat> so you yeah, have you have to have that important important primary doctrine, you know. Yeah. Now, now, really quick with 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 doctrine, you know, the uh, all I need is Jesus. I don't need doctrine. Yeah. Okay. There's there's the other problem too. I feel all they need is doctrine. Yeah. And a lot of like, intellectual and, and, knowledge. And you're missing you're missing so much of Christianity. Mm. If all you care about is doctrine, yeah. If doctrine, here's the thing: doctrine, knowledge can be your idol. Oh I, yeah, it can absolutely <laughs> be your idol. I heard John Piper say, I don't know if this is his quote, but I heard him say it one time. It, it was so stinking funny. He said, uh, "Charismatic people need reformed theology, and reformed theologians need charismatic experience." <laughs> but there is a balance. Sam Storm says a podcast I'm listening to called Exploring the World, or no, excuse me, Exploring the Word and Spirit. And the very first episode, man, I felt convicted. I, <laughs> like This is like a couple weeks ago. This is after Portugal. He talked about how we need to put our attention on not only God's Word and doctrine, but these... I don't want to say emotional aspects to it, but like the really practical part of Christianity. Exactly. You know, I think practical is a good word because we can we can have a lot of intellectual doctrine of Jesus. We can I can I can sit here and I can tell you justification and glorification and all these fancy words like in Romans eight twenty nine, uh, calling predestination, justification, glorification, all these things. But like, if I don't worship God in that, mm -hmm. and I don't like have a, a a renewed heart. And a renew, like in Romans twelve two, being transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you're going to hell. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, well, that's, Satan knows God. Right. Pharaoh. He's gonna, Pharaoh yeah. knew God existed. Oh yeah. He knew it for a fact, and he hardened his heart. You know, with doctrine, uh, it's you know we we even talk about how important that balance is. You know, I would encourage the listener. 
you know, if you if you don't know doctrines so well, go go pick up go pick up mm. a book and learn some doctrines. You know, uh, learn about kind of what that means. You know, and a lot of people are like, oh, those are just all them isms and stuff. And I'm like, okay, some, but not really. They're helpful. Um, it's like, you know, soteriology is the study of salvation. Mm. Eschatology is the study of end times, which I'm sure plenty of people love to hear about end times. Uh, there, there's plenty of doctrines that you need to, you know, what about the doctrine of mm. God? You know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You mm. know, are they are they all equals? Yes, they are. Um, no, this is a part, and that's a part. Well, that's not right doctrine. You can't look at it that way, you know. But but then again, you got these doctrinal people that don't evangelize. They don't tell anybody about Jesus. Mm. They don't. They don't actually have a a a, a real walk with Christ. Uh, I love what you said about John Piper. He says, uh, uh, "Charismatics uh, need need reformed theology, and reformed theology needs charismatic." That's yeah. That's so true because you know, I mean, a lot of the not just reformed theology, but just anybody that's like really in the word and that's like all they're doing. You know, I mean, they they need some of the emotional side mm. of Christianity. Yeah, and if, if your Christian walk is found, founded on emotions, okay, you have a problem. Mm. But there are emotions in Christianity, absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, I, I would say that doctrine is the foundation. Of that uh, practical side, uh, it's the foundation of a relationship, right? Like you, you can't have the practical side and then throw doctrine on top of that. Like doctrine and biblical principles should formulate <laughs> your experiences and your your practicality of it. It's like you don't put experiences into the Bible. You put no, 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 no. You, you draw experiences from the Bible. You don't draw the Bible from experiences. Exactly. You know? Well, it's like you know, with my wife. Okay. I I can know my wife really well. I know she loves roses. She loves red roses. Uh, she loves this and that and yada yada yada. But I don't ever do anything. Mm. <laughs> I've neglected the relationship. That's I've a, got the doctrine of my wife, but I've neglected the relationship. It's the same thing. Or if you yeah. or if I'm all about my wife and I'm all about this relationship, but you don't know what she likes. But I don't know anything about her. You know, yeah. it's like okay, well I've done a horrible job as a husband. Yeah. It's the same thing with your relationship with Christ. You know, it, you better have the relationship side, and you better know them too. Mm. Period. It's a great example. I'm gonna steal that. <laughs> but yeah, global missions is important. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> you didn't gather that already. <laughs> just a just a side note. So, you know, a lot of people, the way they would um, measure the success of their mission was how many people got saved. Mm. I had a bunch of people ask me that when I got back. Um, and that's not the success of the mission. The mission, the success of the mission is that you were obedient. You went. You did what you were supposed to do. Uh, and honestly, I think the biggest success in the, on that mission is the kind of person it changed you into to how you could affect people here in the States. Mm. Maybe, maybe you were a big influence on somebody in there. Maybe you weren't. Maybe you know about it one day. Maybe you don't. And you're going to have to be okay with that. But what you need to know is that God did something. Either whether it's to change you of who you are now to how can you affect the people that are around you here and how can you share that here. Or maybe he also worked over there. He probably did a little bit of both. Yeah, and he will accomplish his purpose. That's right. So, 
Well, uh, Dodd, did you have anything else? No. Well, Eli, thank you so much for you know get, show, give, giving us some time just to, to share about your trip to Portugal. I mean, that sounds like you yeah. learned a lot. And, oh, yeah. um, you know, I think it's important that, again, we... You know, you, you could come back and you could say, oh, so many people accepted the Lord. How many people really accepted the Lord, we though? And how many people yeah. just kind of raised their hand? You can you, you can know. count proclamations, but you can never count salvations. Ooh, nice. I like that. That's right. You can count proclamations, but not salvations. That's between yeah, I, and I'm not a big fan of whenever somebody, you know, church reports. We had 28 salvations at VBS this year. Well, right. uh, you don't really know that. You had 28 say they did. Right. But, exactly. You know. well, especially when there's no discipleship follow up or anything like that. It's yeah. just like, it's just oh, checking yeah. A box. It's like, oh, you got saved. Okay. Make sure you're coming to church all the time. All right. You got that? All right. Good. You yeah. know, don't, I, I don't love, drink, don't cuss. You're good. What, what I love about the church that we're, <laughs> yeah, what I love the, about the church that we're currently attending is um, it's all about what's the next step. I don't care where you are in your walk with Christ. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 90 years or you've been a Christian for one year. What is your next step and in growing is, with Christ? There's always a step. But unfortunately, most people, it's like, well, I go to church on Sundays and Wednesdays and Sunday nights. <laughs> and I have a brighter and male. Like, I'm good. <laughs> you know? And it's like, that's not... No, that's not it. There's mm. more to it than that. Yeah, yeah. It's, we have to we have to stay very mission minded, and I think now my I knew that we had a commandment to make disciples of all nations, uh, but like it, that was probably one of those practical times that it was, and like yeah. I, I was really sanctified through that, and I, I have a really deep appreciation now just for just even having this conversation in yeah. English. Uh, the, the first week I was back was the weirdest week of my life. <laughs> just being there for so long, I hadn't I hadn't yeah. heard a service or a, a praise a praise song at church in English in six weeks. Yeah, and it was man, being at church was crazy. You know, I, I'd encourage <laughs> the listener if you if you've never been on a mission, go. Yeah, Sh should you do something here? Yes, absolutely, you should. A lot of times though, when you do these, and I don't mean like a like a ten day mission trip, you know, like you know, just somewhere. You know, I'm talking like what you did, like a month, six weeks, mm. you know, or several years, you know, yeah. um, because see, here's the thing. 10 days is, is a vacation with a purpose. You know, a, a mission trip that's a, that, that's 10 days is generally a vacation with a purpose. You know, like, mm -hmm. yes, they're on mission. Yes, they are doing good things. Absolutely. But 10 days is not enough to it's really do what you're supposed to Gomer do. Gomer calls it Christian tourism. <laughs> Christian tourism. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, Pastor David and his family have been there for over a decade now. Wow. Um, and they know the language. And uh, that's another thing I wanted to say real quick before we end it is, man, like David, I, I don't know if he's listening. I doubt he's listening to this because given <laughs> that he's like, you know, in Portugal, but man, he was awesome. Like being discipled by him for those six weeks and just seeing like him being there for so long, like he's not there for a week and he leaves. Like he is invested in yeah. these people. And like, man, he was awesome to, to watch and watch his family. He is so faithful and he's a hard worker. And like, I was, he was probably my favorite part. Like me and Cooper both, we had tears in our eyes in the airport when we were leaving. Uh, he, man, he was just a great example. And it, he really like, yeah, I think you were the one that, that mentioned this verse in the, uh, one of the discipleship episodes when Paul, uh, I think it's in Corinthians said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Yep. Man, that was like David Booth while I was gone. And, uh, that's, that's another thing, you know, maybe you're not in a position where you can go to a foreign country for 10 years or 10 days or whatever, 
financially support. They need you need they need your money. Like I, I'm not giving a sales pitch. I'm just saying that's a, that's a part of it. Like that that's yeah. that's the society we live in. Do we need financial support? Not we. I'm not, I'm not putting myself on a missionary standpoint, but like uh, we as a church, right, need financial support for these missions. And yeah. so if you're going to a church that only spends money on your meal ministry and upward and and all that <laughs> stuff, like your own ministries, find a new church. Your your budget at your church should almost dominantly be missions. Outside missions, not your own self, but it should be outside of those walls missions. And so if you're going to a church that's not financially supporting that and only spending on yourself, then you got to go somewhere else. So. Well, let's, let's, end it, <laughs> let's end it with this. And he acts 1-8, he says, you know, you're going to be my witnesses and you're going to testify. And he says, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and in the outermost parts. Okay, so now... Does that mean, okay, it started there in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Okay, now we're on the outermost part, so all we got to do is worry about everywhere else, you know. No, I think that is supposed to be as individuals. Start in your Jerusalem. Start mm. locally. And then go go to your region, you know, the Ju- Judea. And then, you know, Samaria and the ends of the earth. Um, you know, you should start your missions here locally, whatever you're doing. Absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. And then go out further and leave the state, then leave the United States. Then, you know, sky's the limit. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that was a great way to end it. Hopefully the very few people that have made it this, this far in the episode really were blessed by that. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, hey, if you've made it this far, I need you to go to YouTube, whether you are on Spotify or Apple or whatever. Doesn't matter where you're listening to. Go to the YouTube podcast. Just type in DDS. Go to this episode. Comment Portugal. That's how we're going to know how many people have made it this far. <laughs> so represent yourself. Go on YouTube. Goodness. If you don't have an account, make an account. Go on YouTube. Comment Portugal. Amen. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Whatever. We're done. Thanks for listening. For more information on DDS Faith Ministries, please visit our website at ddsfaith.org. And follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube.